Would you pray with me before we take a look at the scriptures today? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we, as Christian Ann said, are so grateful to be in this school. We continue to pray for the children and the administrators and the teachers who are here every day, God, that, um, that you would be present with them and that, that your love for them would come through in the way that this place opens up space for them to learn about who they are and what they need to know. Um, God, we, we enter into this season of Lent in a spirit of humility, acknowledging our need for you, uh, humbling ourselves before you, God, and realizing that we have nothing to offer without you. And so we pray, God, as we have this conversation over the next six weeks or so, that, that you would speak to us, that you would create space in our lives, um, that you would help us to fight back the busyness and the craziness of everyday life in the 21st century so that we can sense you and hear you and follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How is everyone this morning? Happy Valentine's Day. Does anyone have Valentine's that they, that they need to pass out? Small ones? No? Okay. Just checking. We're starting a new conversation, a new teaching series this morning that's called Searching for God. And it's going to tie in with our celebration of Lent over the next six weeks. We're going to talk very practically about a number of ways that you can search for God in your regular everyday life by by looking at your thoughts and your feelings and your emotions, by examining your past, by looking at some of the hardest parts of your life, by looking at seasons of your life where you've experienced grief or loss or struggle, by looking at the things that you're great at and that you love the most and that you get the most joy from. Uh, We're going to spend the next six weeks saying, how do you actually identify where God is present and active in your life in a whole variety of ways. So we're very excited to be starting that this morning. One of the strengths of Mill City Church, from my perspective, is that we have a community of people who really like to ask questions. Most of you are comfortable asking questions. You're curious about your faith. You're not afraid of trying to wrestle through some things that you don't understand. And I think that makes us stronger as a church. Do you agree? I'm proud to be part of a church where we know we need to ask good questions if we're going to get where it is that God wants us to go. Uh, It's also a really diverse and increasingly diverse church in that you all are diverse in the backgrounds you come from. Some of you come from church backgrounds, some of you don't. Some of you come from church backgrounds where you practiced Lent. Raise your hand if you come from a background where you practiced Lent as a kid. Yeah, lots of you. And raise your hand if you, as a kid, because you weren't part of a church or you were part of a church that didn't practice Lent, you didn't really do that growing up. Yeah, a lot of you are in that camp too. And so we come from lots of different places, which means we have lots of different questions. And I think it's a real key strength that we have as a church. Now, some of you are going to come from different places on this idea that searching for God is a necessary and normal part of faith development. When I say that, Searching for God, questioning, doubts, a little bit of confusion, maybe even feeling some distance from God, that's a normal part of spiritual formation. Some of you are going to hear me say that and go, yeah, yeah, that's obvious to me. I've I've grown a lot through times when I wasn't really sure about what I believed or about where God was. Some of the others of you might say, no, when I grew up, when I formed my faith, I thought, Experiencing questions or doubts was a a sign of weakness in my faith, something to be avoided, 
um, to, to sort of hone in on the things that I was sure of and stay there and protect those was the best way to keep my faith from falling away. And to some of us in this community, there's a, a sort of hybrid of those two things where you might be comfortable with questions, but you've gotten so comfortable with questions that you actually don't want to find any answers. And there can become a perpetual state of questioning and doubting without really moving forward that can be extremely dangerous. And so if you feel like you're in that spot where it's not that you're uncomfortable with questions, but that you've been questioning things for so long, it's hard to know if you're ever going to find an answer, then I'm hopeful that this series will help root you in some practices that will help you take some steps forward. I think if we question everything for so long, you can't, you can't help but end up in an apathetic state. Anybody experience that? If you search for an answer long enough and long enough and you can't find anything, it's hard to keep asking. And so if you're in that space, we have people in this room who can sympathize with you. And I'm hopeful that what we're going to talk about will help you take some, some steps forward. In this next six weeks, as we look at these practical ways, I want you just to grab one or two of them to be the thing that you focus on. Something that you hear talked about, some resource that you hear mentioned that will help you practice Lent and experience uh, searching for God in a meaningful way. So today is the first Sunday of Lent. I'm going to do like Lent 101 for those of you who are maybe just new to Lent and the experts of Lent can come and correct us later, okay? Those of you who have been doing this your whole life. Today's the first Sunday of Lent. But Lent doesn't start on Sunday, right? Lent starts on Ash Wednesday, which was this past Wednesday. Some of you probably saw a lot of churches from Catholic traditions or Lutheran traditions fill up on Wednesday. People go to worship and um, they have a service that's centered around ashes that signifies death and signifies the fact that we're recognizing that we're mortal, that we're not going to live forever, and that our life depends upon our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ who has already conquered death. So Lent begins on Ash Wednesday and it lasts for 40 days, but uh, not really 40 days because it doesn't count the Sundays in Lent. So if you've ever tried to do this and count it out, you probably had a mathematical problem you couldn't solve. Sundays are all treated as little Easter's in Lent as we lead up to Easter. So you have 40 days from Ash Wednesday to Easter minus the Sundays. If you spend about two hours this afternoon, you can probably work it out and get to 40. Uh, see if you can do that for a fun... Doesn't that sound like a fun Sunday afternoon exercise? Ryan's going to do it for sure. He looks just excited. 40 days of Lent is connected. The idea of 40 days of Lent is connected to the 40 days that Jesus spends in the wilderness after being baptized where He's searching for, for the Father and experiencing temptation and getting prepared to do the work that God has in mind for him to do. It's also connected with the 40 years of wandering that the Israelites did when they left Egypt before they entered the promised land. There's multiple metaphors in the Bible that try to honor the idea that wandering and searching and being unsure is a natural and normal part of spiritual formation and following Jesus. And so... If you get nothing else from what I say today, I want you to, to leave here recognizing that if you're entering in or have been in a searching space, that's okay. That's a natural part of what it means to grow as a follower of Jesus. If you feel stuck in that space, then reach out to some people you trust. Reach out to me, reach out to other people and say, 
Help me think about some small steps I can say to get unstuck because I've been here for a really long time. Nobody's meant to live in that wilderness forever. That's why there's a finite time. Entering into it is important and leaving it is important. Now, I didn't grow up practicing Lent because the church tradition that I grew up in didn't focus on that. Uh, but I knew that my friends who were Catholic especially, they couldn't eat meat on Fridays. Anybody else experience this? So then the, the whole school cafeteria was focused on serving fish on Fridays, which I didn't particularly love. So I had a little bit of an issue with my Catholic friends who apparently were stealing meat from the rest of us every single Friday for six weeks. Now I know that the churches in Northeast have these unbelievable fish fries on Friday. So if you don't have Friday plans for the next six weeks, you should check one of those out. No meat on Fridays is a form of giving something up for Lent. Anybody see on social media people saying, I'm giving this up for Lent or I'm giving that up for Lent? Some of you are probably doing that yourselves. It's just a common way or an organized way to say, how can we focus our attention on God and our relationship with God by removing something that will be a reminder for us of why this is an important season? So if you're giving up Facebook or chocolate or meet on Fridays or whatever. It's intended not just to be the absence of something or suffering for the sake of suffering during Lent, but it's meant to point you towards an awareness and an attentiveness to what God is doing in your life in other places. So if you think of Lent in 2016 as an encouragement here in Mill City Church to intentionally create space over the next six weeks, to intentionally create space to search for God in your life in a fresh way. That's, that's what we're hoping for. And I'm going to outline two steps, kind of beginning steps for you this morning and invite you into those two steps. The first one is, uh, very simply, I think searching for God begins with an admission that we need God. Now that might sound extremely elementary, but the idea that you're searching for anything means that there's something to find right? And you might even feel uncertain about whether or not there's something to find, but searching at all means that you're at least hoping that there's something to find. And I think sometimes this step gets missed because it's really simple, um, but it, I think it's the most fundamental step. If you don't have a sense in your life that you need God, and not just in your head, but in your, in your gut, in your heart, an emotional response that says, I, I can't live without knowing what God thinks about me and what God wants for me and my family and my friends in my life. What does it look like to admit that you need God more than anything else? There's a story in the Bible of two kings, Saul and David, the first two kings of Israel. And I think Saul and David are two of the most interesting characters in the Bible because they're both handsome guys. They're both very successful people, both politically and militarily. They're very smart folks. They both have these amazing resumes of success in the work that they tried to do. And yet in the biblical history, they couldn't be a bigger, there couldn't be a bigger difference between success and failure in leadership. So for, for King Saul, King Saul is described in Scripture as the tall, dark, and handsome leader, the guy that everyone else thought should be the king of Israel. And so he gets anointed and becomes the king, and his failure as the king 
is learning to go through religious actions, learning to do things religious, religiously without really admitting that he needed God. He learned to practice religion and say the right things and make the right sacrifices and even offer the right prayers at times, but he denied in his leadership that he needed God. And I think as I reflected on Mill City Church, I I think Saul's caricature could be something that illustrates a huge temptation for a lot of people in this room. Because many of you are extremely gifted people. Folks who are used to relying on your own skills, know that you can solve your own problems. It has to be a temptation for anyone who falls into that category to, to not have to admit that they need God. Saul rejects God and fundamentally then gets rejected by God after over and over and over again doing things on his own time and in his own will and in his own way. And David, who has basically the similar resume, is highlighted as somebody who is a man after God's own heart. Even though this guy has a reputation for publicly embarrassing himself. He publicly embarrasses himself as a king, expressing his love and his emotion and his devotion to God. He even gets caught dancing naked one time, right? In front of the party that's bringing this Ark of the Covenant back into the space that they have designated for worshiping God. The guy's buck naked standing in front of this and everyone's around there going, how can the king be naked in the, in the procession? Is that okay? Does anybody else think that's okay? But he doesn't care. He just has this abandon in him that is so clear that even though he did some awful things in his life, even though he committed some awful sins, his need for God, his dependence on God's leadership in his life was so obvious. In the midst of his mistakes, in the midst of his successes, his admission of his love and need for God was obvious. Here's a poem slash song that he wrote to express that. Psalm chapter 62, verse 5. I'll just read a few verses of this psalm. David says, Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress, and I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust Him at all times, you people. Isn't that the best way to address a group of people? You people. Trust Him in all times. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. This is a guy who's being chased down by Saul, who's trying to be killed by all sorts of people, whose life has lived in a cave for years. And he's saying, my rock and my refuge and my protection are always in God. Whether I live in a palace or a cave, my hope is in God and I know that I need God. So maybe this morning as you enter Lent, it's a simple prayer that you need to offer while we're together this morning or while you're receiving communion later. God, I admit that I need you. I don't have everything that I need in my life just within me or in my relationships. I have a deep need that you created to connect with you and to be loved by you and to be forgiven by you and to be led by you. 
Searching for God requires that we begin by admitting our need for God on a regular basis. Second step. Admitting this need for God can have a limited effect in your life if you don't have a rhythm or a pattern of creating space for God on a regular basis to speak into your life. Now, space is at a premium these days. I can hardly go through a conversation with any of you without hearing about our mutual struggle with the lack of margin in people's lives. Speaking with parents yesterday at the, at the Commons about stress and anxiety and the demand of parenting mostly young children. People with, with career ambitions, with huge responsibilities, with aging parents, with all sorts of responsibilities. Does anyone have any sense of what I'm talking about right now? In some ways, though, our busyness is like a badge of honor we wear to let everybody else know how important we are, right? If you meet somebody who says they're not busy, you kind of wonder if they're okay. I don't really have anything to do this weekend. Are you okay? Do you have any friends? What's going on? More and more of us are feeling anxious and stressed as a lifestyle than as something we occasionally experience, right? Now, what I want to read to you in this passage has really struck me this week. The story of Jesus in, this, in the temple flipping some tables over illustrates for us that God gets mad, angry, about things that prevent us from entering into God's presence. The God of the universe gets angry about the things that prevent us from entering into God's presence. Jesus is upset right now about all the obstacles that are put up in our lives that keep us from experiencing who God is and what God wants for us. He was mad about all the obstacles they put in this temple because it was preventing people from experiencing God's love and God's forgiveness. So I want to read this just real brief story, and I want you to think as you're listening to it, what is Jesus mad about right now? In your life, in my life, in the lives of the people around you, what is God mad about in terms of the obstacles that are in our way in trying to experience God's love and forgiveness in our lives? Here's how the story goes in Mark chapter 11, in verse 15. Jesus is reaching the end of his life, and on reaching Jerusalem, he enters the temple courts. That's the outer part of the, the Jewish temple where worship would take place. Side note, the outer part of the temple was reserved or um, designated for women to worship in, and for people who were not Jewish, that was the only space they could enter, was sort of the outer courts. And then if you were a Jewish male, you could enter further in, and if you were a priest, you could enter even further in than that. So this place where Jesus is going to be disrupting things is right on that edge where, where we might say the marginalized people, that was the only space they could go. There was nowhere else for them to go in the temple. So on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus enters the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of money changers and the benches of those selling doves for sacrifice and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations? 
but you have made it a den of robbers. And he said den of robbers because they were actually trying to facilitate some easy transactions, easy ways to get a dove for sacrificing if you couldn't bring one with you. But they were upcharging the doves. They were making money off the fact that some people couldn't find an animal to sacrifice at the temple, which is one of their religious practices. So you imagine Jesus coming into this outer courts and you're a woman or you're a non-Jewish person and you're already a little feeling like you're on the edge because you're not allowed to go into the space that everyone else is. And the guy's just flipping stuff over and yelling at people and whipping tables. And he's so mad. He's so angry because the thing that's supposed to allow folks to come in and experience God's presence has now been made a business. The space in which God is supposed to have domain over that people can always count on, entering into the space where they can experience God has now been co-opted by people who are looking to make money. What obstacles exist in your life today, in my life today, in the life of our church that are preventing us from experiencing God's love and God's forgiveness and God's presence in our lives. Which of these obstacles do you think are making Jesus angry as we speak? Write one down if you can think of one. Of all the different fasting that I've heard from people, some people for Lent fast from food, some people um, fast from electronics. That's why I asked you that question about giving up your cell phone for a day. I saw one woman writing about trying to give up one day a week from all electronic engagement. No texting, no tweeting, no Facebooking, no map questing, nothing. That was a joke. The last part was a joke. No one uses MapQuest anymore. <laughs> Is he serious about that? Does he use MapQuest? Is that an app I should have? Wait a minute. Hold on. Map? No. I still use Google Maps. Of all the things that we have going in our lives, one of the struggles of the 21st century is definitely being overwhelmed by all the stuff coming at you. Any suggestion I make about what you should cut out of your life is going to sound super legalistic and harsh about the thing that I bring up. I don't think you all would have trouble saying, here are the specific things for me that are eating up most of my time and energy and preventing me from having any sort of space for God. And some of them are really going to cost you something to cut out. What I'm inviting you into this morning is just to say, what if for 40 days, which is really like 35 days now, you found one way to eliminate something for your life uh, not just as a sacrifice or a way to say that you love God, but a way to actually create some space. What if you could look at your calendar and say, I'm not going to that group for a week, for a month. What if I'm, I'm not doing this thing that I thought I was going to do and it's going to create a little bit of space for me in the morning or in the evening? I want to encourage you to think about using this resource that we'll have available for you at the risk of uh, making sure that we're not doing the exact thing I just said Jesus got angry about since we're selling books right outside here. They're discounted. We paid for part of them for you. Just to be clear, don't send me an email. This is a really good resource that could help you think through a daily practice 
of creating space for God in your life. And I read this book thinking I wasn't going to like it. And then I really liked it. And so um, I'm offering it to you as an option to say, here's a way to practice what the author calls and what has been called for many, many years, the daily office. Anybody here practice the daily office? Any experience with that? A handful of you, not very many. Here's a description of Peter Cesaro's idea of what the daily office is, the author. He says, the daily, offer, the daily office differs from what we, some of us, label today a quiet time or a devotional time that some of you may have been practicing in your life. Quiet time and devotions normally take place once a day, often in the morning, and emphasize this idea of getting filled up for the day interceding for the needs around you, perhaps. Those are both good things. The daily office, however, normally takes place at least twice a day. Some people practice it four, five, six, seven times a day. And it's not so much a turning to God to get something from God. It's about being with God. It's about creating a space just to be present in relationship with the God of the universe who loves you. It's about communion with God. The goal of the daily office, as, as it is with a quiet time, is to pay attention to God throughout the entire day while I am active. This is a great challenge for all of us. Both the enormous pressure of the world we live in with the demonic powers, the evil powers that are behind it, and our own stubborn self-wills make it easy to live out most of our waking hours without any consistent awareness of God's presence, right? Right? The word office is part, one of the parts, reasons I love this. The word office comes from the Latin word opus, which means to work or work. So for the early church, the daily office was the way they thought of the work of God. God's work. Nothing was to interfere with the priority of paying attention to God through the daily office. So here's an, here's an outline of what the daily office looks like. And the book, what the book would do is it'll give you two opportunities to do this, one in the morning and one in the evening, to create space for God. It starts with two minutes of silence, stillness, centering before God. And in the description and the preface, uh, Peter Scazzaro says, the silence part is often the part that's most hard for people. Has anybody this week tried to sit still for two minutes with no communication? No texting, no nothing, just silence. Some of you have, I know. Some of us, that would seem like an eternity. And he talks about giving yourself so much grace in doing this because if you've not been practicing silence, you probably can't sit still for 30 seconds. It's a skill, it's a muscle, it's a reflex. You start with this silence and this stillness as a way also to acknowledge that you're not the primary actor in this moment. That you need God, admitting that you need God and you're creating the space to say, God, I'm here with you and you are the primary actor in my life. Then there's a, a scripture reading which is very short and very small and a short devotional thought just reflecting on that scripture with a question or a couple of questions for you to consider and even a suggested written prayer if you don't have one of your own that you, can, that you want to come up with and you finish with two more excruciating minutes of silence. And maybe that takes 10 minutes. Maybe. Depends. So, what if for the next few weeks, as we lead up to Easter, um, you grab one of these books 
and you say, okay, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this daily office. And I recognize it's maybe a little different from anything that I've practiced before. And my goal is really just to create space to be with God twice a day. And see what hits you and see what strikes you. As we move forward in this teaching series, in this conversation, we'll be building off of scriptures you find in the different weeks that we'll be going through. So you'll find some reinforcement on Sundays as we continue together. Let me invite the band to come back up as we get ready for communion. I think what brought my passion out in thinking about this topic, as I said a couple of weeks ago, is that Mill City is uh, in its eighth year now, has done an amazing job. We as a community have done an amazing job of carefully listening to what God wanted for us in this neighborhood and starting to act in ways, to have nine missional communities engaging in meaningful ways in different justice issues, in different relationship groups, in different people groups, in different neighborhood causes is absolutely amazing. And one of the dangers that I feel like God has been placing on my heart as I've been praying for us as a church is simply if you are always giving and focusing on something that's happening outside of yourself and you don't cultivate the intimacy of your relationship with God, you burn out. You burn out. You burn out if you're too busy in your life, if you feel too much responsibility, if your whole life is an anxious experience of trying to keep up, you burn out. And we need rhythms of renewal. We don't just need moments of renewal or weekend retreats of renewal. We need rhythms of renewal, right? And so Lent is this perfect season to say, hey, I'm going to intentionally admit my need for God and create some space and see what it is that God has for me as a way of resting, not as a way of getting another thing to do, but just being with the God who loves you. So as we celebrate communion together today, let me invite the communion servers to come down. The way we practice this is that we take this bread, this gluten-free bread, and we dip it in the juice as a way to remember that Jesus gave his body on this cross and shed his blood on this cross so that nothing can stand between us and God. So that every obstacle that comes between us and intimacy with God could be taken away. Including our own mistakes and our own sin and the evil that exists in this world. Jesus Christ has overcome that already. Amen? And so if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't have to be a member of our church. If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, then you have the privilege of coming forward and receiving the bread and dipping it in the juice and remembering together that we need God. And that God loves us more than we can comprehend and has done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. There will also be people along the walls who want to pray for you. And if you're newer here, that always seems like an incredibly awkward moment. But these people are there because they would just love the opportunity to say a word of prayer over you. It takes a little bit of courage. Or one of them might try to grab you on the way by. You can always resist if you want. Or you can just let them pray for you. You can let them pray for you without saying anything if you want. But it's an opportunity to be blessed by somebody who um, wants to do that, feels called to do that, and would be privileged to do that. So take that opportunity as you go. Let me pray for our communion. And then as you're ready, as soon as you feel ready to come down and, and take the bread and the cup, please do so. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we love you. We celebrate the fact this morning, God, that that we don't have to do anything to earn that love from you and that you love Mill City Church and you love Northeast Minneapolis. God, that you became 
one of us. You didn't just leave us to our own devices, but you came and became a human being to show us what love looks like and what sacrifice looks like. Lord, for those of us who have felt disconnected for you, like we're searching for you, we cry out to you today and say, we want to find you. We know we need you. Please help us to see where you are and what you're leading us to do.